with the transplant. Yeah, what do you do? Like, what's your day-to-day with it? So, um, at our program, every patient that gets a transplant has to be seen by a pharmacist. And so, I currently work in the cardiac ICU, and then I split the inpatient transplant patients with another pharmacist. So every transplanted patient that comes in, a pharmacist is on their case, and I split it with a coworker. So we go every other, and then if there's more than one in house, we just kind of split it by who has enough time, and um, we review all of their pre meds, and then we review their meds they get before the transplant, and then we are part of the team. We round on them. It's a multidisciplinary team. And then we counsel them every day before they're discharged. And St. John only does uh, kidney transplant? Yeah, St. John only does kidney transplant, but they do um, living donors and then deceased donors. And what's a little history about the program and how did it start? How long has it been here? Do you even know that information? I don't know that information. Um, I know our director came and started it maybe six to seven years ago. Um, and every transplant program, it's mandated by CMS that you have to have a pharmacist on the team. They may not necessarily have a residency or specialized training in organ transplant, but they have to um, have a pharmacist on the team to help review the stuff. So when it started, um, they asked pharmacies involvement and then it just grew more. So that's kind of how they made a position, um, split between me and my coworker and how it started for me was I did a residency at the hospital I'm working at and, um, trained in it the whole year, um, was part of my duties training in it. And I got offered a job and the program got busier, so they asked to split the transplant program between me and my coworker. Nice. So you're the only, or your hospital that you work at is the only kidney um, transplant program in Oklahoma, right? Right. Um, About a year ago, there was another program in Tulsa, and they closed their program, so we absorbed all of their patients. So our program is um, growing bigger because we are the only one in the Tulsa area that does kidneys. Dang, yeah. Um, So I just kind of want to hop right into it, Um, like your take on my recovery. Because I know you weren't, you weren't, um, you know, you didn't have this position, right, when I went through my transplant. You're a pharmacist, but not in the transplant clinic, right? So actually when... You guys had your surgeries. I was in pharmacy school, and okay. during pharmacy school, you get like an hour or two lecture on transplant, so you really don't know a lot about the medications, mm-hmm. and we can go into it, but a big part of transplant is medication management. So at that time, I really didn't understand what was going on, so yeah, I didn't understand much. Um Looking back now, I would know a lot more, Mm -hmm. but yeah, and kind of to go off of kind of like what we say to new patients that get a transplant, just to like explain it a little bit, basically you're getting an organ from someone else and your body is saying, oh, that's not mine. That's not my, it's not supposed to be in my body. 
So your body is going to try to fight it. And so what you do is you give what we call immunosuppressives or anti-rejection meds to help your body from fighting it. So when you first get your organ, you'll get really high doses. And then after Mm -hmm. time, the doses will go down a little bit. And that's just to help prevent from rejection. So usually um, you will all the time you get these anti-rejection meds. And they're really important because as soon as you stop taking them or if you take them incorrectly or you're missing doses, Mm -hmm. your body will fight that organ that you got Mm -hmm. and then you'll be back to kind of where you started needing a new transplant. Yeah. And so um, so I'm on the three main ones, my Fordic, Tacro, and I'm on prednisone. Um, And so is that would that be the same with kidney as well? Because I really don't know. Yeah, so we start our patients on tacrolimus or Prograf, myfortic, and prednisone. And um, we'll start them at higher doses, kind of like I said, and mm-hmm. then after time, the doses are lowered. lowered. Um, like the prednisone dose, it, dose, we'll start them on like a prednisone taper where we'll give it through the IV. We're giving high doses so you don't reject right away. And then we kind of decrease the dose over time, which is great because uh, the higher dose of prednisone, the more side effects there are. Yeah. So eventually, most of our patients are on five milligrams, but it kind of changes, depends on the patient. And every patient's a little bit different. Some patients um, will be on a prednisone-free regimen if they can't tolerate prednisone. But kind of the reason why we do three different medications is so you can have a lower dose of each medication okay. and hopefully have less that makes side sense. effects if you're having yeah. a lower dose of each. And it's interesting because right when I was diagnosed with AIH, um, I was on a huge dose of prednisone. And that must just be because it was autoimmune. And so a huge dose and they, you know, they lowered it as time went on. Um, and then before transplant, I think I was on... Uh, man, like 15 or 10 milligrams. And now I'm on five, but they won't take me off because it's autoimmune. And so like your patients who maybe have an autoimmune disorder, but it's kidney, would that be the same? Because they didn't necessarily up mine, you know, after surgery, it stayed super low just because of the autoimmune hepatitis. So I'm just, yeah. So would that be the same with kidney or is it just because mine would be autoimmune? So I'm not exactly sure what the regimen is for liver transplants, but it would be like the same with kidney. They get the five milligrams of prednisone and it's not necessarily because it's an autoimmune disease, but it's so they can give three different medications, Mm -hmm. but there is autoimmune diseases in kidney. So yes. So it's not super common to already be on the steroids go before the, the, the surgery or before a transplant, is it? Like, is it just kind of coincidence that Sydney's surgery, what she needed to, I guess, combat the cirrhosis is also what combats the rejection? Is that just coincidence? Or is our steroids just like a catch-all for a lot so of So it's going to depend on your disease state. So an autoimmune disease is basically where your body's attacking um, your something, organ. your organ yeah. or something in your immune system. So in Sydney's case, she had autoimmune hepatitis and they were giving her prednisone and, um, it was combating that. So giving yourself a different organ, it's kind of the same. It's your body's going to fight that organ. So my patient population, most of them are not on prednisone 
prior to getting a transplant. Most of my patients um, have chronic kidney disease for various reasons. Um, We see diabetes a lot, hypertension, um, stuff like that, that over time affects the kidneys. So my patient population, a lot of them are not already on prednisone. So it is kind of a change for them. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people don't like taking prednisone. Yeah. But what I always tell my patients is um, after time, once you get to that five milligram dose, most of the side effects go away. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Interesting enough, I don't, you know, notice many side effects from a medication. And maybe it's just because I've been on it for so long. But I mean, overall, I feel I feel good with that. I mean, do most of your patients, they must be. You said you have a lot of older patients, right? Which it may, you know, be different for them. Um, but do they have many side effects? So a lot of side effects with prednisone. There symptoms. are a lot of side effects with prednisone, which can be um, high blood sugars. So they can get diabetes over time. It can cause hypertension. It can make you a little bit irritable. It can keep you up at night. So we mm-hmm. tell our patients to take it in the morning. Um, it can make your face puffy, make you gain weight. So definitely, um, at first when we're giving, you know, huge doses, like 60 milligrams, there's definitely some of those side effects, but after time, once we get them to the five milligrams, it, it's usually not an issue for people. If, if someone, if we have a really, really hard time controlling someone's blood sugars or diabetes, then we may go on a steroid-free regimen and increase the doses of the other two medications. But most of the time, patients tolerate the prednisone pretty well, and there's always ways to figure it out. I know sometimes um, we have a patient that will take it every other day. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely side effects, but we the, the transplant team will definitely work with the patients to figure out what's, mm-hmm. what's best for them. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to talk about dosing um, because I know mine with the Tacro, you know, I get my labs drawn every month and, you know, every few months I'll have to adjust it, maybe up a milligram or down a milligram. Right now I'm on six, so I take three in the morning, three at night. Um, But it was just recently four in the morning, three at night. And so I'm wondering if that's the same with kidney, that it fluctuates that much or, or how do you, how do you know, you know, what dose to give? So for Prograf, that's probably one of the most difficult drugs that you're going to take when you first get your transplant, I would say, and one of the ones that we have to counsel on the most. And that's because everybody's dose is going to be different. And it's super toxic, right? Right. So my dose would be different than your dose, than Tommy's dose, anybody's um, dose. And that's because your body... One will metabolize it differently, Mm -hmm. and there's um, other medications that affect the levels. And a lot of medications that you take, you know, you take a certain dose, and there's um, kind of a a set dose that you would take. But for this medication, we change the dose to be based on a specific level in your body. So how we figure that out is we do lab draws and we're trying to get it to a certain level. So every organ's going to be different depending on what level you need and mm-hmm. every patient's a little bit different. And so your transplant center would tell you that or they may not even tell you. They may just tell you that they're increasing or decreasing. But that's kind of why that one's um, 
difficult because they're trying to get it to a certain level in your blood that's working how they want it. If the level is too high, there's going to be side effects, which can be like shaking, tremoring, um, headache. It can Mm -hmm. also damage your kidney. If the level is too high, it's nephrotoxic. So they're very much looking at the level. If the level's too low and not where they want it to be, the medication isn't working. So if your level's too low, your body can start attacking that organ again, and then you're kind of back to square one. So it's just a medication that's like perfectly fit. They have to have at a certain level, and most medications aren't like that. And so they have to draw your lab and get it just perfect. Mm -hmm. There's also a lot of drug interactions with it as well, and even some food like grapefruit. So it's just a medication you have to watch more more closely. So that's kind of how that one is. And at first, like you say, you're going to be changing the dose quite a bit to figure out what's best for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was reading um, the... My fortic, so I'm on mycophenolate acid, and then I was reading I was on a different one before that, and I think it was mycophenolate sodium. Or what's the difference? Because I was reading, and then there's also I, I don't know if I'm saying this right, but mofetil, mycophenolate. How do you say that? Yeah, Mofetil, um, or? there's different formulations. So the new one is my fortic, and it's just a different. Um, Sodium, and the reason is, is they made it like that is because there's less GI upset. So the previous one was called Celsept, and it was just, um, it it would cause a lot of, um, it was hard on people's stomachs. They'd have diarrhea. They wouldn't be able to take it. So basically, it's It's the the same drug. It's just formulated different to help with absorption and less GI side effects. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. How often do you have to tell the doctors, uh, like, no to doing something? Or, like, do they ever come to you and they're like, I want this, I want this, and then you're like, as a pharmacist, I don't agree with that. Is there ever any conflict there? Yeah, there's definitely some conflict, but we have pretty good providers in my um, transplant center that um, it's more of, like, a team decision-making, and that's why they do have a pharmacist on the team. Um, Prior to getting listed on the transplant list, there's um, a committee that reviews in and out the patient, and there's a pharmacist on that committee. So I do inpatient um, transplant stuff, but we also have a pharmacist that does stuff in the clinic. So this pharmacist does more of the side of working a patient up, making sure that they will take their medications, making sure they have a good social history, social support, insurance, making sure that there's someone that will take their meds, will do what they're supposed to. And then she also sees patients once they're discharged. So I'm more um, on the inpatient side where I see them after the decision's been made and they already have their transplant. So during that stay, there's not as much conflict, but there's definitely some times that I would say more recommendations to the providers, and they're very grateful for it. For example, some medications interact with Prograph, and we'll have to remind them, hey, their Prograph level is going to, you need to start them a little bit higher because it's going to be metabolized different. So there's definitely a lot of recommendations pharmacy-wise that they don't, 
not that they don't know, but they have so much going on that you can recommend and help them out with. And they're very, you know, appreciative of that. So it is definitely um, teamwork for that. And um, how hard is it or, you know, how important is it to keep up with your medication? Because that was, um, like you were saying, a huge thing for me is the three different centers I went to to be evaluated. That was like their first thing. You have to take your medicine. Will you take like they would harp on it and harp on it. And for me, I was like, yeah, I'm going to take my medicine. This is my brother's liver. Like, of course, I would not take it. Um, And so, like, is that really a thing? Like people don't want to take it or don't follow through with it post transplant? Yes, it's absolutely a thing and it, it, it happens and that is, and that's a big thing. We try to catch the patients like that beforehand so Mm -hmm. they understand what they're getting. So a lot's coming at you. You have a new organ. They want you to eat a certain way. They want you to take your medications at a certain time. They want you not to do this, not to do that. So it's a lot of information coming at them and so sometimes they just get a little bit stressed and maybe medications isn't the first thing they think about or they just don't care or they're not they don't understand the importance Mm -hmm. that's why there's a lot of education prior because once you're in the hospital and you have your transplant it can be overwhelming with all the new stuff so we try to make sure that a we're picking patients that will follow through and have a good social support and understand and that they're getting education prior because if you know more coming into it, it'll be easier once you have it. So I will yeah. say a lot of centers will harp on the education prior. And there's a lot of people who have had organs that just don't understand it. Even if you talk to them prior, they just don't get it. And yeah, they, they won't take their medications and then they end up needing another transplant years later. Dang. So it definitely does happen. Mm-hmm. Do you have to do you reject reject people quite a bit or? Yeah, we do do that. We have um people coming in with rejection, and then there's medications now that can help with it. So I don't see a lot of like failed organs, but there mm-hmm. is a lot of rejection that we have to treat, and they're readmitted, and you have to figure out their medications, change some things, and give them some anti rejection meds. Yeah. So they don't do living donor at St. John. It's purely deceased donor. They do living donor. They do living donor. They do. Kidney, mm-hmm. yes. And the only organ... And do you um, follow up with the living donor patients as well? Like the people who are giving? Yes, the people who are giving, I will see them in the hospital. They, um, for kidney, they're usually out post-op day two. They, yeah. it's, it was very different from the liver. I can't remember how long you were in the hospital. Like five days, but... Yeah, what yeah. you were ten, five so or six days. With kidney, we usually have the donor out post-op day one or two. Mm-hmm. Um, the recipient post-op day three mm-hmm. usually. Um, sometimes longer, four or five, kind of depending on the course. Uh, if something happens, can be longer. But it did seem like our patients get out a little bit quicker than it did when you guys had your liver. The uh, only, I don't think I took any really medications besides like pain medication, like initially. And then I had to take like mag, I guess, mm-hmm. and phos. What are those exactly? I, something had to do with my liver growing quickly and needed needed those things. So I'm not as, I'm not as familiar with 
liver. What is but, kidney? Have, but with basically, kid, does kidney have to do anything like that? With um, a kidney transplant, people are donor. Donors. They they're not regrowing a kidney or anything, so they don't need those supplements. They don't. They usually just take whatever medication they were on before. Um, if they go home on any t- sort of pain med, we want to make sure that they have. Uh, medications to make sure their bowel mo- bowels are moving because the pain meds can stop you up. So they basically just start on whatever they were on before. Um, it's not, they're not regrowing an organ, so they don't need those supplements. But I will say um, in a kidney transplant, they are going home on, and every center is different. Some centers use um, cyclosporin instead of Prograph or different medications. This is just what our center does. Every center has their own protocol um, of what medications they go home on and the doses. But at my hospital, they go home on Prograph, Myfortic, and Prednisone. Those are the three anti-rejection meds. Another big thing when you get your transplant is that you are going to be at an increased risk of infection because Mm -hmm. it is suppressing your immune system so it doesn't kill your new organ so you are you're at a really increased risk for infection so we send our patients home on three anti-infective medications as well we send them home on one to prevent bacterial one to prevent viral and then one to, to prevent thrush which is a so, fungal infection in yeah your and they, they had me on that um right after but that's interesting are you don't put them on like moxicillin or anything or do you? Because when they took um, my liver out, they also took my spleen out because no, it was so yeah. large. So that's interesting because I thought I was on amoxicillin for my spleen, which I am. But I'm just wondering if, if kidney. No, they don't. And okay. what, um, what do you remember what anti-infectives they took you home on? Or if you I said mean, the name, I might remember. But um, and was it Bactrim? Bactrim. Valcite yeah, yep, and yep. Nystatin. Yeah. So she also went home on amoxicillin, and that is because they took out your spleen. Mm-hmm. So you're when they take out your spleen, you're at an increased risk of infection from even a more so, I guess, from yeah. a different type of or, or organisms. So they add that for you. And okay. are you still it's on like that? a double whammy? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'll be she'll on be on that, that for life. Yeah, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. They thought about taking me off of it, but too risky. Um, so they're just gonna keep me on. Yeah, and um, for my patients, they'll be on these meds for three to six months. There's different risk factors that might change it. If you get an infection, it might change. There's different risk factors. So I always tell my patients, these will fall off likely, so don't be too stressed out about this medication list. And then they also go home um, on medications that they were on prior. So a lot of my patients have diabetes or hypertension, so they're on a lot of antihypertensive meds or diabetes meds. Also, another thing is, is that the side effect of a lot of these transplant medications is increased blood sugar, is increased blood pressure. So we may, if you weren't on something before, you may have to be added on to yeah, something. Yeah, it's like one thing causes another. Because I'm on Nexium because I have terrible heart Yes, pain. our patients also go um, home on um, either a PPI or an antihistamine for heartburn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it, it is a lot. It's a lot of medications. Um, but at our center, we make a medication list, the pharmacist, and then on the day of discharge, we help the patient fill their pillbox. So mm-hmm. they don't feel stressed out. We make sure it they do it right. It is very overwhelming. Yeah, so they know <laughs> that they do it right. 
Yeah, what type of advice do you give to people who go from not having to take many medications to like all of a sudden they have to take a lot? But maybe a lot of people come in already sort of in a, at a point where they are having to take some. But like, how, how do you advise people who are like, it's stressing them out? Like Sydney went into it already taking a whole list of things. But when you first started, like it was an adjustment having to stay on top of it. And even there's still days where you're like, oh crap, did I take it? Like, I don't know. What's your guys' system? So for us, we, you know, try to do the pre-counseling and then we send them home with a pill box and we use something called my med schedule and it's free. Anybody can log on and use it. And so we'll update the meds there and then we'll make a list at what time to take it and we'll put all of the medications. So we recommend just having that list. If it's not through there, just having some sort of list. And then we recommend doing the pill box. After a while, if you are comfortable and it's been years, then patients will stop using a pill box. But at first, mm-hmm. we recommend it to keep it organized. And then we also recommend setting alarms. An alarm. Yeah, there's also some apps out there that they wanted me to download. Oh, yeah, I haven't, but I remember. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, even apps that remind you to take it. Because right. they're like, you're going to go off to college and not take your medicine. I'm like, no, don't worry. Right. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> So just remembering to take it. We have our patients take our medications at 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. Did your mm-hmm. center ask you to take them at a specific time? So that's actually interesting because the the two hospitals I was evaluated that didn't get accepted, um, they had your, your, your morning time, your night time, and it had to be this far apart. Um, so I, that was kind of drilled in my head. And so... Um, and then Madison, you know, they, they were still strict about you have to take it morning and night. But, you know, if it's a couple hours off, like, it's fine. Um, so, you know, at first I was super strict about it. But if it's a couple hours off, like, I mean, I wake up, at, I'll take it at 7 and then maybe like 9 p.m. at night. So, you know, it kind of depends. But as long as it's pretty close, they say it's fine. It's worked out fine. But it might be different for other people. Yeah. And I think ours is just um, a consistency thing and making yeah. mm-hmm. people get on track. 9 a.m., 9 p.m. We also have our labs starts at like eight usually and you want to get your prograph level drawn before you take your you prograph take it. Mm-hmm. so nine and nine kind of works out for people yeah so that's why we kind of do that yeah and they really did drill that in my head during my evaluations and I've said this before but like I'm so grateful for that because I learned so much because every center has their standards and their rules and and you learn a ton like I think in Pittsburgh they took me through it was it was like three days but I mean it was hours of sitting down just going through things like going through surgery what they're going to do before and after and so like you know some centers might be more laid back you could say Um, but it is interesting, you know, from center to center, how it varies. And like, I learned a ton just from that. And so from the different centers and what they have to say. Yeah. And, um, our clinic, our transplant clinic, once you're discharged, we have a pharmacist that works there and she will review the medications after you're discharged. She will come in and talk to you. She'll check your pill box at first. (laughs) She'll do like a little audit to make sure you're doing it correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, She will watch you at first, watch you fill the pill box in clinic to make sure you're doing it right. And then after time, it gets less stringent, but they are pretty strict at our center because the medications are so important. And it kind of sounds silly like, oh, I know how to fill my pill box. I know how to take my meds. I know how to increase, decrease. But another one that's super important is Prograph. It comes in one milligram capsule, 
five milligram capsules and 0.5. So we're slow, like we'll increase, decrease based on that. And so say you were on a four milligram dose, that'd be four of the ones. And we ask you to go, you know, up to 4.5 milligrams, you'd add a 0.5 milligram into your box. Well, it has happened before that patients will add a 5 instead of the 0.5. Then they're on 9. They are more than double the dose that that was intended. And kind of like how we talked about, um, Prograf is great, but it's also nephrotoxic if if the dose is too high. Mm -hmm. So it's super important to be very careful, very cautious. And every patient thinks, oh, that won't happen to me. And they kind of don't really understand. But that's why we really want patients to listen when we're talking to them because... There's just silly mistakes like that that are important. But all of this to be said, not to scare you, because (laughs) there's a lot of people in the program that help make it a success. So, like, there's a pharmacist that's looking at your meds, making sure you're taking the right one, uh, catching those mistakes and helping you. Mm -hmm. So just because we're harping on you, making it sound scary, um, there's support. You have support there, at least like at our program mm-hmm. or I'm sure other yeah. programs around that yeah. are helping you and making sure you are on track. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Got anything else you want to say? Any advice? How are the outcomes at St. John? Pretty good, right? Yeah, if pretty good. the program's good. still there. Yeah, awesome. it's great. Yeah, we're busier and it's been great. And we're actually moving towards hiring um, a full-time inpatient pharmacist that will mainly just do transplant since the program's growing, and right now we, I split it with someone else. So, um, yeah, that's great news for Tulsa and St. John, and it's great. That's awesome. Thank you for uh, talking to us. Yeah, thank, thank you. you.